0: Luke 2, we're going to look at the story of the shepherds. We've been talking about uh, Christmas according to the angels. And we, we've really taken a look at what the angels say about the birth of Jesus. And so far, we've seen some really great things and some things that have impacted me. Let me give you one example. Uh, I often think of Jesus as the savior. So when the angels teach me that it's, it's kind of normal, you know, and I think, yeah, he's the savior and, and, and I like it and I'm passionate about that anyway. But the way that the angels focus on how uh, Jesus was the king of the world, that's something that I don't often think about and, and gets neglected in my mind. And so I've found myself throughout this last week just, just really being more focused on, man, Jesus is the King of the world, the King of the universe, really. And and it's an impactful thing to know that I'm not just serving some guy who lived 2,000 years ago, but I am serving the King of the universe. And I think what we're going to see today are, are some, some even greater things, uh, if you will. And so if you'll pick up with me, I'll read the whole story in Luke 2. We'll start on verse 8. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told him about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as had been told to them. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Now, there's several themes that come up in in this passage of Scripture. uh, we never have time for me to preach uh, because of our limitations, time-wise. Uh, but I don't think there's enough time uh, in the month for me to teach you all of the good stuff that is in this passage of scripture. It is it is theologically rich. Uh, it is beyond that; it is socially rich. I would even add it is it is rich in every way that you would want it to be rich. And so I'm going to try to pick out uh, some of the some of the really good things from this passage of scripture. And the first one is it, it's written about shepherds. Now. We've talked about this before, but the shepherds uh, were the lowest of society. First of all, because of the nature of their trade, they could not fulfill the Levitical law. The Levitical law had certain law, rules and regulations about the cleanliness that you must maintain. But these guys are out walking around in, in sheep's poop, sorry, uh, and they are dirty because of that. And so the Pharisees and the religious leaders would look at them and they would think, these guys cannot fulfill the commandments that God has given. What's really interesting to me about that, just as a side note, when I think of it, is is these guys, it's, it's believed, could have been the guys who were raising the Passover lambs to sacrifice for God. And so, m- in my head, this is just a question, and, and maybe you have an answer for me, but uh, what did the Pharisees think that they would do without these guys who were preparing the Passover lambs that they were going uh, to sacrifice? I don't know. That was my side note for the day, but these shepherds are dirty. They're known as dishonest. They are... People who were not allowed to testify in the court of law. It's not like they could go up there and and somebody could be their character witness ahead of time. It was just part of the Jewish culture that shepherds were not allowed to testify on any matters that were legal. And so they were just shut down. They were known as people who were who were crooked and, and just did things that, that shouldn't be done. They were also uh, guys who didn't make a very good living. Uh, they might have owned a small piece of land, but a good portion of shepherds would have had to, to actually hire themselves out uh, as paid laborers, uh, which was pretty low. It was just above slavery in the Jewish mindset. They would have had to hire themselves out just to support their families. And, and so when the angels appear to the shepherds, and if you're reading this story and you have knowledge of the first century Jewish world, you go, wait a minute. No, 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 no. They're not. They can't appear to the shepherds. That, that has to be wrong. I mean, we get that earlier in Luke one, they appeared to Zachariah because he was a priest. And, and this married lady who they just appeared to in the last passage, she seems like a really nice girl. Uh, she seems like she might come from a good family. And his dad is in the line of David. So that all makes sense but not the shepherds. They're too low. They're too gross. They're too uh, unholy. They, they're just not good enough for these angels to come and tell them about Jesus. And right here in this moment, we don't pick it up because we don't hang out with shepherds. You probably don't know a shepherd, right? But in this moment, the early century readers would have looked at it and gone, man, There's something about the birth of Jesus that is different than the world has ever known. Jesus has not come to the holy and to the righteous. Jesus says himself, I have not come to save the righteous, but I have come to save sinners. I think that even these shepherds, as they see these angels coming and the angels proclaim the things that we're about to talk about, they would have said... This angel must be stupid. I'm a shepherd. This angel must not get that, that I'm unclean and I don't follow the law. And they would have said, what, what is this? And they would have recognized it, I think, really early on. As soon as they saw that baby named Jesus, they would have recognized that what was happening to them was the result of God's grace. When Jesus came into the world, he completely changed the paradigm. We see it right from the beginning of his life. In fact, right at the very beginning of his life that Jesus says, look, it isn't about how rich you are. It isn't about how good you've been. It isn't about how high in society you are, how well you dress, how nice your car is, how wonderful people think you are. It is about the grace that I am going to bring to you. And so just by looking at the shepherds, if we knew nothing else about this story, if we just saw some angels came to the shepherds and they proclaimed the birth of Jesus, we could learn just from that, that God is showing that it isn't about the Israelites. It isn't about the great of society. It is about him coming for all of the people of the world, no matter what their stature is in society, no matter how holy they have been or have not been. It's beautiful. And so these shepherds are out there, and, and it says that they're, they're tending their sheep, and they're just hanging out in the darkness of night. It's specific, it's specific to that, that they're hanging out at nighttime with their sheep. And then we read that the glory of the Lord shines around them with the angels. The glory of the Lord shines through the darkness. And I think as Luke writes this, he's trying to show us, uh, this, this difference, the separation, the darkness and the light. And it's something that comes up throughout Jesus' entire life and ministry, that Jesus has brought the light into the world. Now, darkness is evil throughout the Bible, and, and light is seen as good. And so we see in Jesus first that Jesus is bringing good into the world. But I think uh, that theologically this has greater significance than, than we might uh, pick up, even with the light and darkness contrast. It says that the glory of the Lord shines right around these angels. Now, if you've paid attention, you've been part of our church, you, you've you heard me teach on Exodus 19. And Exodus 19 is, is really the, the most clear moment in, in the history of the world, besides in the person of Jesus, that God's glory is shown. And the story there is uh, the Israelites uh, are not the Israelites yet. They're just the Jewish people. And they have been brought out of Egypt where they were slaves. And they are uh, in the desert and they're wandering around. And God says, hey, I want to make you a people group. And so he says, hey, I need you to clear the area because I am going to make my presence known. I am going to show you my glory. And so on this mountain, Mount Sinai, God shows up and and it's fire and he's talking and the people fall down on their faces and they don't even want to hear God talk more because they're just so amazed and impressed and scared because the living God, the God of the universe is talking to them. And it is the clearest moment in all of scripture of God manifesting his presence and showing his glory. As time goes on, The people duplicate that experience and God duplicates that experience, but he doesn't do it on a mountain anymore. First, he does it in something called the tabernacle. It was a traveling tent. And so all the people would gather together and God would show up and he'd tell them what they need to hear and he'd scare them enough to start living for him and things like that. And then, after that, they build a permanent tent that that is the temple. It was much more than a tent. It was uh, probably one of the most beautiful buildings ever to be built on the face of this earth. And God manifests his presence there in that temple. When Jesus comes on the scene, when these shepherds are out tending their flocks, the temple is just south of where they are in uh, a city called Jerusalem. It, It is the religious capital of the world. Uh, For the Jewish people and it is really the hub of everything that they do as a nation. And so when we read this, it doesn't make sense because God is supposed to show up at the temple. God is supposed to manifest himself in the temple. And we miss it because we are Americans and we are not Israelites. But in this moment, as this God appears to these shepherds, He isn't just saying, hey, look, I've come for you no matter how low you are in society, no matter how much people don't like you, no matter how poor you are. I've come for you. But not only that, but I have released my presence into the world. I am moving out of a building now in the birth of my son and I am going to make my presence go everywhere. And we've talked as a church and said that, look, the place that that happens most specifically is in the context of church. When we come to the New Testament, we see God showing up within the context of church over and over and over again. But that is allowed and that began right in this moment when the glory of God left the temple and entered the rest of the world and first showed himself To the shepherds. And so in the birth of Jesus, in that moment, we see that God, first of all, says, look, I'm here for the lowest people of society. I'm here for all people of society. But also he says, hey, I'm coming to the world. I'm no longer going to be a one-city God. I'm going to manifest my presence throughout the universe. And he has done that since that day through his Holy Spirit in the lives of believers and in the context of church and and all over the place. But it happened this first day when the shepherds saw the glory of the Lord. It's a pretty cool event. The next thing that they say is that this is going to bring good news for all people. Now, the, the shepherds have a very normal response, uh, the same response is Zachariah, who's in Luke 1, and Mary, who, who's also in, at the end of Luke 1. Uh, they both, upon seeing these angels, get really scared. Even Mary herself is like, what did I do? You know, I mean, that's kind of her attitude. She doesn't say that, but that's her attitude. What did I do? You know, why'd you come for me? Zacharias like, whoa, um, this is it. what did I do? You know, and that's a human response. And the shepherds being the lowest of society. Again, we see uh, they everybody's called them sinners since they started their profession. And so when they see the angel, they're thinking, I'm finally getting what all the religious leaders told me I was going to get. This is going to be a bad ending. But the, but the angels say, hey, don't be scared. And then they say, because we are bringing good news. Now, this word good news is is the word that we oftentimes translate gospel. It's the it's the very thing that we call the gospel. And so when we say, hey, we need to preach the gospel to the end of the world, we are using this same word that the angel said to the shepherds, this good news. It makes more sense if we say news. And so they say, hey, look, we're bringing you this good news, this gospel, and we want to tell you what it is now. This term goes all the way back to the Old Testament. In Isaiah 52, 1 through 10, we really see the promise that the angels are are really proclaiming when they come to the shepherds. Isaiah 52, 1 through 10 says this Awake, awake, Zion, clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor, Jerusalem, the holy city. The uncircumcised and defiled will not enter you again. Shake off your dust, rise up, sit in throne, Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains on your neck, daughter of Zion, now a captive. For this is what the Lord said. You were sold for nothing. Without money, you will be redeemed. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. At first, my people went down to Egypt to live. Lately, Assyria has oppressed them. And now what what do I have here, declares the Lord. For my people have been taken away for nothing. And those who rule them mock, declares the Lord. And all day long, my name is constantly blasphemed. Therefore, my people will know my name. Therefore, in that day, they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, it is I. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who proclaim good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen, lift up their voices together. They shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst in the songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare His holy army in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. And we see when these angels come, they're saying, Hey, finally, after all of these years, the promise that you guys have seen in Isaiah 52, the promise that God has promised forever to redeem His people has come upon the earth. And the angels, they start singing in worship, as as we see here, and we'll talk about more in a second, but it's representative of what Isaiah promised would happen thousands of years ago. Look, the Savior has finally come upon the earth. The Redeemer is here, and so now it is time to break out in joy. And so we see in the birth of Jesus the good news, but not just some good news, good news that was promised thousands of years ago. Now, I'm, I'm a little jaded when, when I, it comes to that. Sometimes I just think, you know, I've heard it before. Jesus was prophesied about and the stories that happened in Jesus life. Yeah, thousands of years earlier. I mean, somebody said that those would happen, but I kind of take it as a given and you probably do too. But if you were walking around and just about everything that you did, somebody's like, hey, That's written right here. Somebody said you were going to do that a thousand years ago. You were going to order that. I knew you were going to order that off the menu today. You would be pretty impressed. All right. I mean, you would either say you're crazy or you would say, wow. Wow. You must have heard from God. And in the person of Jesus, we see that. I mean, we don't know what he ate. Uh, I'm sure it was Mexican food, but, uh, but we don't know. Uh, but we do know that so many things that we see in his life are prophesied that it cannot be a coincidence. Jesus must have been the good news that was promised. And these angels proclaimed that out right at the beginning of his life at the time that we celebrate as Christmas. Now, they give us some specifics, and I love these. I hope I don't mess this up. Uh, We've messed up some things today, but, but what they say about Jesus is just so important to us. First of all, they say that he is Savior. The first thing they say is that he is Savior, and that is something that Luke has already been teaching us, and we saw it in in also the book of Matthew. The name Jesus, in fact, means God or Yahweh saves. And and so it's something that we've already seen in, in the Bible if we've read up to this point. Jesus is the Savior who came here to save sinners. And so we know what that means. The shepherds would have been like, well, Savior, uh, that's cool, that's great. But we get to see the full fruition of that. And so if you read the rest of the book of Luke, which the original reader was going to do, a guy named Theophilus, you would see the rest of the story. And the story goes like this. Jesus lives life, grows as a man for about 30 years. And after 30 years, he starts to do this ministry, and he goes around healing people and teaching people, but it's all aimed at one singular event, and that singular event is his death on a cross. And he goes up on this cross after being beaten brutally, and he dies for the sins of humanity. He says, look, I want to have a relationship with you for eternity. I am the God of the universe, and so I am going to give my life so that you don't have to be punished for your sins. He dies on a cross, he's resurrected after three days, and he rises again to heaven and he sits on his throne waiting for you and I to accept that gift so that we can have a relationship with him forevermore. And so when the angels proclaim this, even though we've heard the story, right? Most of us have heard that, that Jesus died for our sins. Let it not just go by the wayside because we've heard it before. This little baby who's being born has come to this earth to save you from your sins. That's a big, big deal. He came here so that you could spend eternity in heaven rather than eternity in hell. And so Jesus is, first of all, the Savior of the world. And I think Luke wants to emphasize that. I think that's why it's listed first. But he is also, and this is the one that is so easy to forget, I believe, the Messiah. We talk about Jesus as the Savior. When we sing our songs, we, we sing about Jesus saving us from our sins. And that's important. It is the reason that we are here today. But we forget about Jesus being the Messiah. Now, the Jewish people would not have forgot about this. And let me tell you what the Jewish people uh, were expecting. They were expecting a guy who would come and he would make everything right. Now, through their... Through their ages, through the time periods, through the years of the Israelite people, it kind of ebb and flowed on what exactly that meant. Is it, uh, is it going to be a nationalistic ruler? Is it going to be a political ruler? Those would be similar. Uh, is it going to be a military leader? Is it going to be a spiritual leader? Is it going to be something else? Is it the Son of God or is it just somebody that's kind of like a son of God? And, and so they had all these ideas about what the Messiah would be. But one thing that they knew is that the Messiah was going to set things right not just save people from their sins, not just give people eternal life. He was going to set things right. Now, what I don't think they understood is that that really that was going to be a choice for a lot of people and it was going to be based on some people's decisions. But what you see in the person of Jesus, if you don't just skip like I did a minute ago, from his birth to his death, what you see is a man who lived a life to make things right on earth. Let me give you some examples. He, He healed sick people, right? I mean, he healed sick people. If he was just here to be the savior of the world and not set things right, he didn't need to heal sick people. He could have just said, hey, I'm here, I'm sinless, let's go to the cross, let's take care of that. But he healed people. he also taught people. He wanted people to have a fuller understanding of the things of God. And so he spends three whole years walking around teaching people the truths of God. Again, if it didn't matter, if he didn't care whether people believed true things, whether people had right thinking, he could have gone, hey, I'm born, now crucify me and let's get this thing over. But he wanted to set things right in the world. He he helped people that were oppressed in his society. He looked out for the poor. He looked out for the marginalized. He showed love to the prostitutes. Jesus didn't just come for salvation. He came also to set things right. And here's the thing that he did that that I don't I'm still unaware if it's a good idea or not. But uh, did I say idea? I didn't mean to say that uh, a good idea or not, uh idea or not. Um, I'm not sure if it's a good idea or not. I've never said idea in my whole life uh, until right there. I'm not sure if God had a good idea or not. But here's what he did. He said, OK, I'm taking Jesus back up to heaven now, but I'm going to leave this thing on earth called his called the church that is to be his body. And so Jesus didn't just go away and say, well, I helped people for those three years. But, but he said, look, me as the Messiah, I'm acting now through the people who call themselves church. And, and it gives us, because of the Christmas story, we have a responsibility, whether we like it or not, to continue to make things better on this planet. I, I think that we need to, to be people who say, look... There are poor people out there who are not being helped by our society and we need to do something about it. I think as we've done in our church in in just recent months, we need to be people who say there are sick people out there who are dying and there's nobody to help them. There's nobody to help them with their finances so that they can buy food. There is nobody to help them and comfort them with the things of the Lord. And so we are going to be that for them. There are children all over this earth who are being hurt. And I think the Messiah, Jesus, through his churches, has come so that that those children can be helped, so that they no longer have to be hurt, so that God can move in them and give them the life that he has always wanted them to have. We see people being oppressed all over the world. We see sick people all over our world. The problem's have not changed since Jesus was around. But now that Messiah, that Jesus who was born, that these angels are talking about, he's choosing to work through you and I, and and his program has continued. And so it is our job to teach, and it is our job to heal, uh, maybe through our prayers physically or maybe through what we do for people spiritually. It is our job to help this hurting world and try to make it right. We know that it will never be fully right. Jesus knew that. When he was walking around healing people, he knew that those people would die. He knew that they would get sick again, that their life was going to come to an end, but it didn't stop him from doing his part while he was on this earth because he wasn't just the Savior of the world. He was also the Messiah who came here to set things right. And so in the person of Jesus, we see this person who, yes, saves people from their sins, but he also helps drug addicts stop doing drugs. He also helps children who are abused stop being abused. He also helps sick people get well and to cling to him. We see in Jesus a person who really changed the world, not just spiritually, but also physically and in the very tangible things. I can't emphasize that enough. Uh, We see it everywhere, right? And Christians get a bad rap. If I can go on one tangent for a second, we get a really bad rap uh, in the world today. And people are looking at us and saying, man, those Christians, they, you know, those guys on TV are, are weird and and they want our money and. And uh, Josh was telling me a story uh, the other day about a guy he listens to on the radio that goes, look, I know it's the Holy Spirit working, but, but I want my paycheck, so I'm going to tell you it's me. And, uh, of course, it was satire. He was, he was emphasizing what happens a lot of times on our Christian TV and radio. And, and we get mocked for all that stuff. And when you tell, yourself, tell somebody you're a Christian, there's some people in our world who have a negative opinion of you. But the Messiah came, and when you look at our world today, Just look at the names of hospitals in our area, for example. Look at the names of hospitals. They are named after Christian people or Christian principles because this Jesus came to this earth to set things right. And because of that, his body, the church, has continued to do his work. And they don't want to watch people die without any comfort at all, but they start hospitals to help people. And they go places that nobody else wants to go because they are following in the footsteps of the Messiah. And they go and they help people. They start or orphanages and they do things to make this world better. And sometimes we lose sight of that as Christians, but, but we've done a lot of really good things and we never would have done those things if this Jesus had only been our savior, but he really was also our Messiah. The last thing that they say about him is that he is Lord and I think this is also one that we kind of forget about. Uh, This just means that he's got the power over us, that he is our master. And and the truth is that some people don't recognize that at all because they haven't given their lives to Jesus. However, uh, I think that we need to recognize that. We live in a country that is overemphasized. Uh, the grace of God uh, at the expense, uh, because the grace of God cannot be overemphasized, but at the expense uh, of, of God being our master, the one who sits in heaven enthroned, and he is the judge of the world. And the Bible tells us in other places that he is going to come back and he is going to judge us for our sins. Now, for Christians who have given their lives to him, the good news is he's not going to send us to hell. He's going to let us come in. But I still believe when I read scripture that I'm going to have to look Jesus in the eye and I'm going to have to have a conversation with him about the things that I've done on this earth. I'm not looking forward to it. But when I fail to think about that and when I say, well, Jesus, you're the Savior, and so you saved me, I get to go to heaven. And when you say, Jesus, you're setting things right, and that's good, and I only emphasize those two things, then I start to slip away from Jesus. Jesus because Jesus is the Lord of the universe. And I need to have that type of respect for him. We should look at Jesus as our best friend, but we should also look at him as the one who has ultimate authority to punish us, to zap us dead right now in our spots. He won't do that, I don't think, but uh, we need to remember that. And so in these angels, and I, I love this, they say, Basically three words. There's some other little phrases thrown in the middle. But basically three words. They say, Jesus, Messiah, and Lord. And in those three words, they teach us as much about Jesus as we need to know. But I think if we, if we look at one, we say, that's the Savior of the world. Then we stop living for Jesus because we forget that He is the Lord of the world who has ultimate power over us. And if we look at Jesus as the Lord of the world, but we forget His grace, then we become people who are, are, Are fundamentalists and and we're focused on the rules instead of the compassion and the mercy that Jesus offers us. If we focus on his lordship, but not the fact that we need to be helping people, then we become boring Christians who aren't making an impact on the world. We're just trying to live our lives for Jesus, but we're not doing any good for the rest of the world. We cannot emphasize one of those above the other, and we we cannot emphasize all of them enough. Jesus is the savior of the world. He is the Messiah of the world, and he is the Lord of the world. And when we recognize that, when we recognize that, and we look at this through the eyes of the angels, our response is going to be similar to their response. This is one of a very few times in all of Scripture where you see a heavenly army of angels raise up and start singing out. And and the guy that, that inspired me, it's just a blogger, he inspired me to do this sermon, his... Third part in his blog on the angels uh, said, he said, I was going to read it, but we're out of time. He said, hey, these guys have been waiting for this forever. They watched some of their other angels. Go down and into the abyss and choose to be demons, basically. They watched the creation of the world and they were excited about it. And then they saw Adam and Eve choose to sin. They have seen people going to hell throughout the ages. They have seen people who are hopeless and oppressed. They have seen people uh, that have no joy. And they have been waiting. Patiently, knowing that someday the God who they're up there hanging out with, sending messages for, is going to step onto the planet as the Savior, Messiah, Lord. And as they announce it to the shepherds, they just start singing to Jesus. They say, man, glory to God in the highest, because this moment, this moment that we have patiently waited for, for thousands of years... We've known it's coming, but God was waiting for the perfect time. It is finally upon us in the person of Jesus. There is a Savior now. There is a Messiah to set things right, and the world can know who their real Lord is, the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, who was laying in that manger, and they sing out to God. As we celebrate Christmas and we look at what the angels had to say, it needs to draw us to the excitement that they had. They were waiting, and they saw it, and they celebrated. And when we celebrate Christmas, it should be for that reason. It's not about me seeing my family. It's not about the food I'm going to eat. It's not about the presents that I'm going to get. It is about Jesus coming onto the earth as our Savior, Messiah, Lord, something that was patiently waited for by the angels themselves for years years and years and years and caused them to celebrate. So will you stand with me as I pray, and we're going to sing a non-Christmas song, but I, I think it uh, says what uh, what we need to say today as we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Lord, uh, I thank you for coming to this earth and and not just saving us, God, but setting things right. And we know that the world is not perfect. You knew that. I mean, people crucified you in a world that you were that you were fighting to set right, Lord. But God, we we just We don't want to emphasize one side of your nature on this earth more than others. And so I pray as as we go through this next week leading up to Christmas, and some of us will be here together on Christmas next week, and some of us at our candlelight service, that that we would remember all of you, Jesus. Not just that you were some guy who was born and died, but that you were the God-man who came to the earth to, to die and save us, yes, but to be our Messiah and our Lord as well. And God, we would be excited about that. Let us ride right along with the angels this holiday season, whether actually through our voices singing out or just in our hearts. Let us praise and give you glory because of the things that you did for us on this earth, Lord. I thank you for being my Savior, who died for my sins, so that I can look forward to eternity with you. God, I thank you that you cared enough about me to to work through your church for these two thousands of years, so that that I could. Live life more fully so that I can become what you want me to become, so that when I'm hurting and I'm struggling, I have people to turn to, God. So that when I'm celebrating, I have people to celebrate with, God. And I thank you for the picture you gave us of that yesterday. And Lord, lastly, I thank you for being my Lord, God, because you have said in your word that <laughs> that we're always under the rule and authority of something, God. And I'm glad that you stepped into this earth so that I didn't have to be under the rule and authority of Satan or my flesh, or this world, or, or anything else, God. But I can be under your rule and authority, Lord. And I can I can trust you, God, to be a magnificent king over me, God. I love you, Lord. I thank you for being with me, being with this congregation, and teaching us today. In your name, amen.